It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? Welcome to another edition of the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. I am Carlin Gay, and I am pleased to be joined on this bonus edition by a real friend, a good friend, indeed, uh, Miss Megan P- McPeak. I almost said your name wrong. I know you so well. I <laughs> uh, almost called you by your nickname that you hate. Uh, but Miss Megan McPeak, who is here, she is the voice of the Capital City Go-Go and also the voice of your reigning defending WNBA champion Washington Mystics. Megan, how are you? I'm great, Carlin. Real friends. Real friends. Friends forever. <laughs> I almost, love it. Almost exposed the nickname that I have uh, have bespelled upon you, much to your chagrin, so, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll keep it. It was very close. So close. Almost slipped out. Um, <laughs> you are currently in the nation's capital in the United States, or, or close to it, Uh is, uh, sorry for dropping your location to the millions of uh, listeners to this great podcast, but we're already out. Cats out the bag. Um, how how is it now uh, living there? I know that the pandemic is uh, still a thing that people uh, and some people may want to ignore it, but it still exists. What's what's the situation like in Washington? It is interesting. Um, I mean, it, it blows my mind. Like. We're still in a pandemic, but it feels like as soon as like phase two started to begin, everybody was like, life's back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's it's nice that like it feels semi normal, but it's so interesting, like where I live, um, there's a lot of restaurants around. So everybody's out on the patio and like that's great and all. And I understand not wearing a mask while you're physically eating, but you're still within six feet of people and yet people are not wearing masks. Like it blows my mind. Like I'll walk by like three or four restaurants and aside from the servers, no one's really wearing masks. So it's so interesting. And I get it. Like if you're eating fine, no problem, but you're still like out on the patio and there's other, you know, patrons around you that if it's me, like I would be taking their, you know, health and consideration into my thoughts. But uh, yeah, it, it feels like people are trying to think that like it's summer, which I get it is, but it almost feels like people are forgetting that there's still a virus that has no vaccine. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and it's ravishing the country because you know you can't even say like you can't even say that it's ravishing the world anymore i know you know countries are still having numbers and whatnot but when you have breakdowns of like four countries that combined their population is the united states and combined they have you know under a thousand cases mm-hmm. and <laughs> the united states has like. 50,000 in a day and it's it's basically just ravishing the country and it's so interesting it's as if people have forgotten that it still is here and still very very viable crazy thing for us to uh to see happening as two canadians living here in the u.s 
but we also have our uh, our health cards nearby for sure. <laughs> uh, last week, uh, or maybe even now, two weeks ago, uh, you were a part of a I, I, maybe I want to call it a panel that uh, Mark Spears brought together for an article on the undefeated that is titled "The Challenges of Being a Black Play-by-Play Announcer in the NBA." Now, on this panel. Every single black play-by-play announcer in the NBA was involved. It was a panel of four. Yourself, uh, the Jones brothers of Mark and Paul Jones, and of course, Eric Collins, who is the voice of the Charlotte Hornets, where I live now. Uh, but you were the only female uh, that was a part of it, and you were the only black female calling any sort of play-by-play for the NBA family. Now, I know that people get confused with, uh, you know, wait a minute, there's, there's so many other women, you know, black women who are, who are doing, uh, you know, games or, but there's a difference. They're not doing right. play by play. They may, there may be color analysts, there may be sideline reporter, um, but there's no one else doing what you do uh, in the NBA family that is, that looks like you or is a female. So um, what was that, first of all, like? to be a part of it with the, the three older gentlemen and, and how do you feel being the only one to do it? That looks like you. Yeah, it's so interesting. And it's funny because when, you know, when these, when this first, you know, the conversation first started, um, it was on, you know, the Twitterverse and Mark and I were going, Mark Spears, um, cause there's Mark Jones. So, you know, got to keep everybody separate. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were, you know, going back and forth and he put out, um, a question like, can you name, can you name them? And it was so funny and so interesting seeing the responses and seeing how, I think uneducated is probably the correct word to use in this situation. The fans are in the difference of a play-by-play broadcaster and a color analyst Mm -hmm. because they were firing off like Michael Thompson with the Lakers. Yeah, great. He's an analyst. (laughs) Like, like, you know what I mean? Like they were firing off, you know, Clyde, Walt, like they were just firing off all these names of you know current and former and you know bless his heart spears was trying to keep up with it and just responding with like color analyst color analyst color (laughs) and it was so interesting to see like how people just mesh the two together when it's very different as you know Mm -hmm. um so that was that was very interesting and funny to me to just see the interactions and you know the the fact fans didn't really or weren't really understanding the difference between the two. Um, but then in conversations with, with Spears and like actually breaking it down and thinking about it, it was so interesting and it was disappointing and, you know, pretty discouraging the fact that there's only four of us. And then if you add in, if you like go more broad and say minorities, there's still only five in now Adam Amin in Chicago. Um, and this is again, discluding or excluding the WNBA because the, the women's sports, we are acceptable 
to be doing play by play because it's a woman's sport. So it's quote unquote fine Mm -hmm. or okay. Um, So I don't want to exclude the W in the sense of they're not worthy. It's just that in the perspective of society, it's allowed because we're women and we're covering women's sports. So let's use the caveat of men's professional basketball under the NBA umbrella, which is basically the NBA and the G League. Um, And just, you know, having the conversation with Spears and then going back and forth on Twitter with um, Paul and Mark Jones and then, you know, Eric chiming in as well, too. Um, with the, with the round table, it was, it was kind of sad that it's that like limited amount, especially when you think about the fact that the NBA is 75% black men playing and those that are calling the games do not represent the players. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when you add, when you add in the fact that, and like, e- there's even a caveat for Paul himself when you think about it. Like, as you know, um, growing up and and you know, being around the Raptors and following them, he's technically not even full time. Right. He's only part time because he's only doing half of the games because of the um, broadcast structure up in Canada with having you know TSN and Sportsnet. Um, and having to split the 82 games down the middle. So he only does, you know, a, a half of half of the season. And then, um, so that's like even another caveat that if you truly break it down, there's three of us. And even, you could even just say two on a full-time basis because, you know, Mark Jones doesn't do every single ESPN ABC game for ESPN and ABC. So even his schedule, I know he's full time with ESPN, but you know what I mean? Like when you, when you look at the amount of work schedule wise with the number of games, it's, it's very different. So the fact that there's only four of us is, is really discouraging. But at the same time, that just means that the four of us are like, you know, we're almost like this little, um, like, I can't say fraternity because it only frater- fraternities are for men only. I can't say sorority because that's girls only. So, like, we're we're like our own little, like, college basketball team right now. <laughs> 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 we just, we need, we need one more to have the starting five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you want to join us, please. Um, we're, we're looking to add to our roster. And I think for me, like, that's, that's where I have some hope because there is, it's not that there aren't us out there. Like we're, we're out there. Mm-hmm. There are black men and women that do play by play. We are out there, you know, trying to hone our craft and, you know, get better, get better at it. Excuse me. And it's more so now just like the opportunities. So like we, the talent is there. Now we just need the opportunities um at our you know at our discretion and not discretion that's a bad word to use at our um availability mm-hmm. and you know when you think about the fact there's only 30 nba teams there is 28 g league teams so there's 58 teams in professional men's basketball in the united states of america not a lot of jobs right. but the fact that there's 58 and there's <laughs> there's only four of us still not good um, so I'm excited that, you know, p- being part of this little, you know, 
four person unit, we get to help keep the door open for the next generation coming. Um, Cause like when I look at it, you know, the Jones brothers and, and Eric have, you know, in a way, excuse me, opened the door for myself being another black person. Cause it's one thing, you know, a lot of people will say like, Oh, you know, what's it, you know, who, who opened the door for you? That's a black woman. And, you know, there's not many of us. So I am now taking it under the thought of a collective unit of black play-by-play dancers. I'm not going to use gender because we're a family. So we're now going to just keep the door open so that we can allow the next generation to join us so we can increase the numbers and it can, you know, give more hope to the generation after us and then so on and so on. So as much as it's discouraging, it just means that, you know, we've got work to do and I'm, I'm down to do work and, and get some stuff done. A couple of things that stuck out to me as you were talking is the first and foremost, uh, you know, you're right about the Paul Jones factor is that he isn't, uh, you know, a full-time play-by-play announcer with the way that things are structured in Canada with the TV and also radio split. People, you know, mm-hmm. don't even think about the radio side of things, but it's also split on radio where you have sports and TSN splitting games kind of right down the middle. So he gets to call 41 games, uh, you know, doing play-by-play and, and then also uh, in a different role uh, for for the rest. Um, so, so that's right. one factor. And then, uh, as you mentioned, Mark Jones is, uh, you know, he's a national guy and calls, you know, his fair share of NBA games and a very high profile, but that's not his only job. He he, he also does college football and, and does that at a high level as well. So um, it's just you and Eric uh, who, who does the Hornets games uh, that really do it full time in that capacity. And then also the second thing, three of the four uh, black play-by-play announcers in uh, the NBA family are Canadian. That's awesome to me. Mark Jones, Paul Jones, and yourself. That's uh, we could we could you know Eric's a good guy. We can bring him in across the border as he well. Gets, but he gets uh, the honor. yeah he he worked in mentioned. he worked in Chicago, which is you know it's close enough uh, <laughs> at one point in his career. Uh, and then and then the big shout out to Adam Amin, who's who's going to be joining the Bulls, uh, uh, who does a terrific job by the way. Adam Amin's awesome. I've heard him you know do you know me? I'm a big college football fan, so I've heard him do a lot of college football games and. Uh, I think he subbed in for some Bulls games this season as well with uh, Neil Funk uh, spending his last season there. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, there's two jobs open, Sacramento and Portland. Um, maybe, just maybe, we can get you up in uh, one of those seats uh, eventually. I won't uh, let you say anything about that because I don't want to get you in any trouble. But I will say, uh, I will ask you, being the only female amongst the group, do you feel maybe another layer of pressure um, for the next generation? Because you, you said yourself it's, uh, yes, you know, you're, you're now part of, uh, you know, a small, you know, a, a point guard short of a starting lineup, uh, in, in terms of being the four black play-by-play announcers in the NBA family, but you're the only female amongst the group. Do you feel that, uh, sort of pressure at all to, to pave the way for the next generation or just open their eyes that they can do it just like you can? Yes and no. Um, like no in the sense because this is just this is what I do this is my job so I don't feel the pressure and also um this is kind of where my playing days come in come into play for me is that I was so used to playing under pressure that 
I've adapted. You learn how to adapt. Um, so for me, on the no side, not not really because of of that reason. I I, I don't know. I, I guess I like to think um, I work work well under pressure. So it almost like pushes me more. And I think that's where it kind of turns into the yes um, as well too, in the sense of, I don't want to be the only, like, I don't want to be by myself. <laughs> I don't like, I'm cool being by myself. Like I'm, I'm naturally an introverted person, which is interesting given what my career choice is. But when it comes to my career choice, I don't want to be the only one. I want others to join me in this role. And if that means that I have to continue to, you know, bring awareness to the fact that this is not a male, this doesn't need to be a male dominated role. This is a role only for men. Then I'll continue to to champion more women doing it. Um, and more women wanting to do it to cover men's sports as well as women's sports. So while on one hand I feel the pressure, on the other hand I don't, um, because at the same time I guess I welcome the pressure. I guess that's me channeling my mama mentality, if you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's 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 an interesting situation to be in because of that. Because... As I mean, like you, you've known me for years. You know that I hate, I hate talking about myself in that standpoint. And, um, you know, it's it's funny because like people, and I appreciate it so so very much that people will give me a compliment and call me the goat. And I in no way see myself as that. Please do not get it twisted. <laughs> I'm not trying to pat myself on the back um to your to your listeners i'm simply just saying like i don't i don't see myself that way right and for me it can be somewhat uncomfortable when other people see me that way and give me that type of compliment while i appreciate it and and i'm so grateful for it that they feel so strongly about you know the way i can i can do my job um it it also i don't like the i don't like the spotlight um being on me i just wanted i just want to do my job but at the same time, I understand um, and I've, you know, kind of understood it better on a more deeper level in the last probably three years, but more so in the last few months, simply with just what is going on um, in the United States with, you know, the, the systemic racism um, and, and, you know, social injustices that black people face. And I understand that I'm not a I'm not an American citizen, but at the end of the day, I'm a black citizen, mm -hmm. no matter what country I'm in. Um, and I think all of this has kind of, you know, allowed me to understand better that I was I was not here for the purpose of playing the sport. I was not here for the purpose of, you know, being a play-by-play -play announcer. Those were just, you know avenues and that's just that that was just the 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 vessel that i i am moving on i feel that i was put on this earth for a purpose of you know encouraging and giving confidence to young black women that we can do what we're not what we're not supposed to be doing in the sense of what society tells us we can do and i am totally fine with taking that pressure on my shoulders and 
knocking down door after door, ceiling after ceiling, if that means that the next generation of young black women behind me can can do what they want. And I'm not just talking in broadcasting. I'm talking any any career across the board. Certain things are are said that black women shouldn't be doing certain things. And that's a, like it's done. We're done with that as as women and as black women and as black men, we can do whatever we want. We are not stuck in this little cone of we can only do certain things. So I, I welcome the pressure that being the only one puts me under um, because I, I'm so excited to see the day that I have a group around me um, that are doing the same thing. And it's, it's quote unquote normal. And I can't wait to take that group photo either and put it on the gram because everything, it doesn't happen if it doesn't go on the gram, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right about that. Uh, you, you had, you, you, when I announced, the, you know, the start of the podcast that you were the voice of the Washington Mystics and the voice of the Capital City Go-Go, uh, that's where you are now. But you didn't start there. Uh, you had to grind and, and, and work your way up the ladder. Uh, like many people who you know, are in your position or even in, in situations that are calling, you know, NBA full time had to do. Uh, so for you, where did that grind start? Like, how did how did a former player not become an analyst and became a play-by-play <laughs> announcer? How does that happen? So after I graduated from Humber, woo-woo, shout out the Hawks. Um, when I graduated, I was be, like, you know, like you said, like I had the mindset that I wanted to be the Canadian Doris. Um, I was comfortable as an analyst because that, you know, this kind of goes back to my previous, my previous answer. And what I said with, you know, we have this acceptable group of jobs we're allowed to do. So as athletes, no matter your skin tone, it's expected almost that you're, or a former coach will too, you're just going to be an analyst. They just, it's seems like that passage um that is the streamline that things happen and i was i'm fine with um it was fun and when i was at mcmaster university fmu doing the men's and women's games um their longtime play-by-play announcer um dr don dawson uh fell ill and the um sports station director at the time Jamie Tanak just asked asked no oh, can you fill in we weren't thinking it was going to be a long-term thing we were thinking it was going to be short-term possibly finish out the season um and you know it it ended up, ended up finishing out the season but Dr. Don unfortunately had succumbed to his illnesses and passed away um that being said after my like third game doing play-by-play play I was in like I was heaven I was in love so like my mindset then changed and I and I was like I don't want to be an analyst play by play and because I played I see the game totally different when I'm calling it because I'm I'm seeing it still through the lens of a former player so um it's different for me and I think it gives me an advantage and I'd be interested to see if if um Paul or Mark Jones said the same thing. Um, I'll be honest, I can't recall if, if Eric played um, in his in his uh, younger days. Um, I know Jonesy, the Jones brothers both did. So I'd be interested. That's probably a good question to 
to ask them at some point. Um, that could be a whole other podcast that you do. <laughs> um, I'm trying to but, program our, our podcast over here. I, I, I already looking, <laughs> advocating for for another job to add on top of the many things you already do. Leave this one alone, right? <laughs> um, so, like, it allows me to just see the game differently, similar to how an analyst would, but I'm calling the game. And that was my first year at Mac. And it was after, I think I want to say the semester games started. So like the January games, um, for those that might not know what I mean by that. And I think they played maybe two or three games before um, Dr. Don had fallen ill and was hospitalized before I then had my first three games um, and then finished out the season. So I was, yeah, it, it was, it was a quick, like, whoa, I don't, I don't want to be the analyst anymore. And I haven't, I haven't looked back since. Now, don't get me wrong. If someone, if like, <laughs> like if, if the wizards were like, Hey, we need you to fill in as an analyst on the fly. I'm not going to say no. Right. Like if someone wants me to, to fill in as an analyst or, you know, do a few games, I'm not going to say no. I'm going to welcome that opportunity, but my, my, my love is in play by play and it's been 10 years and I absolutely love it. And I don't see myself doing something else. 10 years is a, uh, a long time, uh, but I know it feels I just dated myself <laughs> like a, like a whirlwind. It's crazy. I, I, and this is a question that I've, I haven't asked you yet, but I remember, the because when when you're in it and it's happening and you're you're calling games and you're you never really stop to think to yourself oh man I've, I've made it to this point of my life or whatever the case may be but I remember exactly where I was when I had that oh my goodness moment that I can't believe I'm doing something was uh, it was in Israel Tel Aviv uh, Tel Aviv mm. Israel rather uh, calling uh, I think it was Israel versus uh, Lithuania and. It was for Eurobasket 2017, and it was the first FIBA event I had done uh, at that point in my life. Uh, I had done a couple games already, and in the middle, every FIBA event you go to, um, depending on you know how many teams are there, they normally play group sort of style. And it, at halftime, they show highlights on the screen that you would see on social. And that was the first time I had heard my voice on a uh, highlight package on the jumbotron i'd heard it on you know in highlights on the you know social or whatever but it was different i don't for whatever reason it felt different hearing it on the jumbotron and it hit me that i was like oh man that that's me i'm i'm doing this i'm sitting here right now and at that point it was i was just go 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 it didn't really even like it hadn't hit me yet until that point um have you had that moment yet where you were sitting there and either you heard your voice somewhere or you 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 saw a call, you made a call at some point or at the end of the game where you said, oh man, that I just called that game. I like, this is, I never thought I'd be here right now. So for me, it was, I've had a couple of them. Um, when I was with the nine Oh five and we would do double header days at the, 
now known as the <laughs> you knew what that side was for right now known as the scotia bank arena the but to ACC. me it will always be it will always be the acc um much like the rogers center will always be Sky the skydome yeah um and it was the i want to say it was the second installment of a 905 raptors doubleheader day um because the first one you're still trying to figure the kinks out um and and whatnot so they didn't do as much you know game day production as 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 normal Mm -hmm. so this second time that we did it and it was a march break one which is usually like the big one and my cousins also came and then um they actually played the highlights of that game pre-game for the Raptors. I can't remember who they were playing, but so like my, I'm lo- I look up, I'm just like walking around, you know, facing your phone as usual, walking in back of house, and I hear my voice, and I was like, why do I hear myself talking? And I'm walking out to the tunnel, um, the tunnel that the, the teams run out of to get in and out of the locker rooms and Pascal was walking off the floor, I guess from his warm up, And he was like, that voice sounds familiar. And I just sort of like, like kind of got, got cut off, caught off guard. And I was like, I'm like, I'm sorry, what'd you say? And he was like, you don't recognize that voice. And I was, and I, pa- I paused for a second and I was like, Oh damn, I'm on the jumbotron. And as I'm walking, like he and Pascal just start laughing and like walks to the locker room. And as I come, um, you know, the tunnel, as you come out of the tunnel, you can then see the jumbotron because it's covered. Um, um, like the tunnel's covered and I see my face and Gareth's face on the jumbotron. <laughs> and I was like, damn, like, that's pretty cool. And it's during like, like warmups when fans are starting to like fans are, are in for pre the pre pre warmups. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then the, I had one actually this season, um, when you see highlights ahead of game one for the 2019 WNBA finals and it's on ESPN and they're, you know, promoting the game coming up, um, the following day and they're in studio and they're talking about it. And I hear my voice in a clip. And I was like, wow, like my voice was just on ESPN. Like, that's crazy. Um, so those are probably the two moments I've had so far. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Something about, and, and we're, we're over here uh, humble bragging, but something about seeing and hearing yourself on a Jumbotron is crazy. I get it now why fans go nuts every time they see themselves on the Kiss Cam or something now. It, it, it makes sense to me. Seeing yourself on that big of a screen or hearing yourself throughout an arena is, uh, is, is a pretty cool feeling um you brought up the 905 uh and and pascal specifically you were there to see that man's growth you were a part of uh his journey and your journey is kind of similar uh he you were part of um the the inaugural broadcast team uh for the raptors 905 and you also called their first ever championship uh, win victory with coach jerry stackhouse which pascal was on that team that pascal was on where he became uh, you know, no longer a project and a guy that could legitimately play in the NBA. Now we know he's mm-hmm. an all-star and potentially an all-NBA type guy. 
Um, first of all, what was that like to call the first season of 905 basketball? And I'll ask you the Pascal question after your first answer. Okay. Um, it was fun. It was my first like G true G league experience. I had, you know, I had seen G league games on, um, on the internet before and seen highlights and stuff, but it's different once you get in it. Um, so the first season with uh, Jesse Mermis as the head coach was really, really fun. And it was nice, too, because um, fellow Canadian Nathaniel Mitchell was also on the staff. So it was cool to kind of do my first season with a, a really good friend of mine. Shout out to um, him. I'm actually going to get drinks with him uh, later today. Okay. You know what? Don't rub it in. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell him like, you say hi. You don't need to rub it in. <laughs> tell him I said, tell him I said hi. Um, and so that, so that was like really, really cool for me. Um, because I got to see the work that players put in and then, you know, just like seeing how close they got, because I believe they missed the playoffs by one game that season, um, which was, you know, really disappointing and really, um, heartbreaking to see them as players and a coaching staff go through it. Uh, Cause it was like a situation where they took, you know, they took care of what they needed to do, but they needed a little help from, from a couple other teams situation, which is never a fun um, or comfortable situation to be in, in sports. So year one was really fun. It was really amazing. It was a great experience um, because that was also the first time, you know, I made a full transition into a television production and having like a full on true TV production because the games were produced through um, NBA TV Canada. So having, you know, a producer, an executive, an executive producer, a director, um, a replay person, like having a, a, an actual full blown production truck was something new to me. And that was also cool to learn and just understand, you know, the back end of things and how um, they do things. And that actually prompted me to um, talk with um, the Raptors producer at the time, Dan Gladman, and see if I could, you know, sit in the truck for a few games during the Raptors games, just so that I could better understand what the production truck goes through so that I can do everything as you know, a play-by-play person on the other end and in my ability to make their job a little bit easier. Um, so that was actually really helpful as well too, but year, year one was super fun. It was a great time. Um, and it was really, really cool to just see, you know, from day one of training camp to the end of the season, just like the progression of Jesse as a head coach, the coaching staff, how they develop guys um and also too to see how players warm up because on tv you see like the tail end of warm-ups when you go in person they don't open the doors until some places it's 90 minutes before game time other places it's an hour it's an hour before game time so you don't see the the, the pre-step like we don't when you go in person you don't necessarily see like the steph curry warm-up or the Kevin Durant warm-up. Warm up. That's done well before, and you need you know specific access into the arena to see that stuff. Um, so it was cool to to actually see the preparation um, 
that would lead up to what we see on television. Two two things before before I get to Pascal. One, uh, sitting in the truck is one of the coolest things that you can do as uh, you know being a part of TV. Just watching how everything comes together and it's delivered to people at home. I don't think people really and truly understand uh, how much goes into uh, just a regular, whether it's a game or even just a TV show. Uh, you know, all the cameras, the different angles. You, you sit there in front of like 15 cameras and you have your pick of the litter uh, at, at picking something and director producer working in tandem to to make magic that is I mean it's it's one of the most awe-inspiring things and then the second thing is a lot of people uh, I don't know I'm like this but I don't know if you're like this a lot of people uh, you know get into this business because they love sport and then end up falling in love with TV and I that it absolutely happened to me like I just love I love the uh, nerd out on the business of TV I'm, I know you've been on Richard Deitch's podcast. I listen to that all the time, and and you know he, he, that that sort of stuff I'm interested in. Uh, all the behind the scenes and and everything that has to do with this business, especially on the TV side of things or radio side of things, I love it. Yeah, it's very um, it's very intricate. Like I would have I would have loved, and this is the this is like the cool thing about um, about the Raptors situation. Um, when it comes to their broadcast. So because they are in Canada, as you know, and your your listeners might not know this, but as you know and I know, Matt Devlin and Eric Smith and Paul Jones, they got to call the playoffs from round one right through the finals because of the broadcast right situation. So because there's no ESPN in Canada, Canadian team gets to still have their quote unquote regional network call, which the American teams, the other 29 teams in in the league, once you're out of round one and round two starts, I believe that's when national takes over and your regional team is done. Yep. Um round two so is that's it. I right. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for the NBA finals in that production truck. Um, and shout out to Chris Phillips because he's the director for Raptors broadcast. He he won an award um, for his direction of game six. Um, and he was also my director with the 905. So it's pretty cool. <clears throat> it's pretty cool for me to see the grind that he did um, to put himself in a position to get the opportunity to do Raptors broadcast and then to have it come full circle and him be rewarded um, in the way that he was uh, and recognized in Canadian broadcasting, specifically in sports, for the job he did um, with, you know, Game 6. It's, it's, it's so amazing. Um, and it's crazy because, like, we were, we were both there for year one of 905. So I've gotten to see his growth. He's gotten to see mine. Um, but I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that production truck um for the finals just to see how everything got put together because you're right like it is the production truck there is never silence it is there's constant communication and if there's one misstep in communication it can blow up the entire broadcast um so it's so interesting to see um from that aspect i i recommend Anyone in broadcasting, whether it's radio or TV, if you want to be in front of the camera at any point, 
you need to see what the people behind the camera go through because it will give you a fresh perspective and a better understanding on how you can do your job to help them maximize their job and everybody works out together um, smoothly. Yeah, it's one of the most uh, humbling uh, experiences uh, that I had to go through to get to, you know, just being able to call FIBA games. I remember way back when, when I started at Rogers TV, the producer that I had, uh, it was my first day, quote unquote, volunteering. And I, and I had to, uh, you know, build cameras, strike them, uh, do the chords, set up the audio, and then go on air and then switch out of those clothes and help them strike the, pro- the whole production. And that was the most humbling experience. I, did, I didn't realize how much work people put in just to get the show up and running. And I probably right. wouldn't have had the appreciation for the folks behind the scenes as I do now. Uh, if I hadn't have gone through it with them, um, you know, obviously Roger TV isn't, you know, Bell or I mean, isn't a, a dome production, but it's uh, it definitely gave me an idea of how much work actually gets put into it uh, behind the scenes. Um, speaking of work and putting in work, I said I said I got to ask you a Pascal question because you had the opportunity to see this man's growth up close and personal before he even made it to the NBA. And, you know, everyone wants to talk about how quickly his his stock really rised through the ranks. But, um, you know, I look now at his college days and the dude was a whack player of the year. He was he was almost he was a honorable mention for all American. That's his final season in college. Then he goes straight into the D League and, and wins the MVP, finals MVP rather. Uh, and, you know, he's a champion that, that year, leads a team there, most improved player in the NBA level, NBA champion, now an all-star. And like I said, almost uh, on the cusp of being an all-NBA type player. I, did you see it? Because a lot of people had, hadn't seen it. Did you see that Pascal could become the player that he is today? Yes. And no. So yes, in the sense of, and ju- we need to clarify when you said whack player for those that might not realize, you're just using the short form of the conference. <laughs> you're not actually calling him a whack player. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the people. Do people even use that word anymore? Whack. That's I whack. I, I think I, that's I, our I, era. I, that's over for that now. Um, but just in, you never know. You never know. Just in case people are the, like, why is he the Western him Athletic <laughs> Conference Player of the Year? um so i saw the potential for him to be a great player did i see the potential for him to be who we now know him as i can say no um if if you if you can say yes about that then by golly tell me the lottery numbers um and i'll go play them (laughs) but i mean i could see the potential in him and I could see the potential in Fred Van Fred Van Vliet. They just have this different mentality in them. They have like this dog-like mentality that I'm not satisfied until I get to where I want. Um, and you see it in different ways in the two players because you know Pascal is very he's very zuber, you know zuber he is very outgoing with his emotion whereas Fred is just like straight face stone cold like I'm giving I'm giving you no emotion until he 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 hits this huge shot or has this big play and then you see some emotion but then he quickly comes back to the stone cold face um and because I got to see them up close on a regular basis I think it allowed me to see 
what other people didn't see until the last couple of years from them in, you know, where they could potentially go. And the crazy thing about it is I don't think either of them are done, you know, growing as players, which is kind of scary, but also very intriguing. Um, So while I saw Pascal having the ability to be great one day, I can honestly say I didn't see it to necessarily this uh, this level. Um, and, and, And that's totally fine because I don't think many people saw him getting to this level or being the type of player that he began to turn into. Um, because, you know, he, I look at his mindset in similar way to a DeMar DeRozan in the sense of give me something that I need to work on in the off season. I'm going to work on it and I'm going to come back next season and I'm going to master it. Pascal has that, in my opinion, he has that thought process as well too. And that's not something you can train or teach. You're born with that gift because you recognize something's missing in my game or something needs to get stronger and better. I need to work on it. Um, And I think his time playing alongside DeMar gave him that mindset um, and allowed him to, okay, I got to work on this. I got to work on my three. I got to work on my mid-range pull-up. You know, you got to see each progression from him. And we haven't seen the whole progression of a complete player from him yet. And if I'm a, a player in the league around his age, I'm scared to think that the progression hasn't come to fruition fully yet. Because, you know, who knows what type of player he could turn into. We could, we could potentially be seeing a player that has, similar to a Vince Carter, a 20-plus year career and is an impactful player on every single team he goes to. You have the uh, you had the unique experience of uh, watching Pascal and many others, including Fred, kind of develop in what has, in my opinion, been the best development system in the entire league right now. Um, the the nine to five system for for the Toronto Raptors. Um, what was special about the way, or what was different, or what stood out about the way that they were able to prepare players to get to the next level? Because we've seen it now. Pascal, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Lorenzo Brown wins an MVP in the league, and then he, now he's playing pro elsewhere. Uh, Andy Tavares, same thing. He's playing pro high level in Europe. Chris Boucher, uh, a guy now who might end up getting paid this offseason. What is it about the Raptors' 905 structure? And by the way, they've had three different head coaches now. What is it about the Raptors' 905 structure that has has allowed them to create foundations for these guys to grow? I think, um, I think when it comes to what they, you know, what they do, it's not just how they develop players that works in their favor. It's the fact that the way they pick the players. They pick guys that are willing to develop um, because, you know, the, the notion that surrounded and swirled around the, the, the now G League, previously the D League, was guys would look at getting, you know, sent on assignment as a demotion or as a punishment. Now, guys are realizing because of, you know, players like a Quinn Cook, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam. 
you can take, um, excuse me, uh, you can take your time in the G League and turn it into being a serviceable, impactful, and relied upon NBA player and potentially turn yourself into a champion. The three guys I just mentioned are all NBA champions. They all have G League experience and not just, you know, one or two games on assignment. Consistent, multiple handful of games experience. Chris Middleton is another one. You know, I know the Bucks haven't won with him on the roster, but he's another one who took his time in the G League as a way to get better. And he got he, he got himself paid. Like, now, because you see more and more players having success in the NBA that had success in the G League, the G League is no, it no longer has that, you know, quote unquote stigma around it, that it's a demotion or a punishment. And I think when you have guys that you bring into your organization, that they buy into the fact that, hey, I know that you're on this roster, but we're going to need you to play, you know, 12 games with the G League team for your development purposes so that you can have the ability to be that guy. Because a lot of these guys that, you know, whether they're drafted to the NBA or they're in the G League, a lot of them were the man on their college team. But guess what? You're not going to be the man on your NBA team. So you need to be able and be willing to humble yourself and accept the fact that, yeah, okay, I might have been a, a lottery pick or a first-round pick, but I, need, I still need to develop because I am 19, 20, 21. I still need to develop to be able to be the type of player that they need me to be to be serviceable to my NBA roster. And I think, you know, as I mentioned, Quinn, Fred, and Pascal – um, and and Chris and and Chris had done a have done a great job of being the quote unquote poster children for success from the G League to the NBA. And fun fact, and you can ask Dwayne about this, but Dwayne and I were doing radio in the preseason. It was a final preseason game. Raptors were playing the Argentinian team. They were in town, and they had one final roster spot. They had Fred VanVleet. And Brady has slipped the Canadian shout out um, on the roster, and they still had to figure out the fifteenth, the fifteenth man. At halftime, I looked at Dwayne and I said, "Fred, Fred Van Vliet just played himself onto the Raptors roster." And the next day, it was announced that they would be taking Fred instead of Brady. So it's not like. Like you can be the guy at your school, but you st- you still got to put in the work because there's only sixty draft spots, and there's thousands of Division One players that are trying to get to the NBA. So if you get on that, you know, if you get to if you get that chance where you're, you know, one of the four hundred and fifty players, but you got to also be willing to accept that you've got to develop too. And I think that is where teams have success in their development. Um, role of players is picking guys to bring into their organization that are good character guys. And that's what the Raptors got in Fred and Pascal. Watching G League games, uh, you certainly have the opportunity to see uh, 
some future stars in the NBA and also beyond. I mentioned a lot of guys are also making good money over in Europe after you know spending some time in the G League. Um, the other league that you uh, you know make money calling for the WNBA, you had an opportunity to sit courtside and watch a championship season. Uh, in your first season calling WNBA games for the reigning defending WNBA champion, Washington Mystics. Um, how fun was that season, uh, you know, from start to finish, watching the best team in the league from start to finish that made it very interesting almost up until the last three minutes of the season where uh, they almost kissed away a championship but were able to kiss the trophy at the end of the day? It was a blast. And, you know, year two with the 905 when they won with Stackhouse at the helm in his first season. That was really fun. No disrespect to them. This one was just, it just hit differently. <laughs> this one just, it was different for me. Um, I grew up, you know, watching the WNBA. I grew up on the Lobos, the Swoops, the Thompsons, the Coopers. Like, I was a huge, huge, huge Houston Comets fan. Um, so for me, this was different. And the, the access that I got throughout the season um, that myself and my, and my broadcast partner, Christy Mitter-Scott, um, got throughout the season, we had like unprecedented access. We, we got to sit in um, training camp days and not just, you know, the final, you know, 30 minutes that media is allowed. And we were allowed to sit in from, you know, start of, of the day to the end. We got to sit in on practices. Um, we got to know the players. I got to know the players on a personal level. So I, it was like, I had a, I had a rooting interest. Um, and you know, coach, coach Mike Tebow, who's also the general manager of the team, he does a really good job of making it feel like it's a family and, um, not just within the team, but within those around the team that have ties to the team. So he, he made me feel very comfortable and like I was part of this team. Um, which was really, really awesome to have. And, you know, it was, I was really grateful to him for that. But it was so much fun um, watching these ladies play on a, you know, nightly and daily basis. And just like, just what they do, like, you know, with your time um, doing FIBA, the, the level of player Emma Miesemann is and has been with the Belgian national team, to see her do it on the WNBA final stage, which that's, you know, she will tell she will tell you that she wasn't needed the year before <laughs> in 2018 when they lost to Seattle um, because they had got there. They got to the finals without her. Um, but but Mike Tebow will tell you we got there, but we didn't complete it. And you were the missing link. And I watched last season because by the time um, I mean, I watched every WNBA season, but by the time I had. Um, signed my papers and gotten the job. It wasn't announced, but the fi the WNBA finals hadn't started, but the playoffs had. So I was secretly invested in them winning. Um, so I was watching every game, you know, with a microscope. And I truly believe that if they had her last year, um, I don't think they get swept. I think it's a very interesting uh, series, and I think it, it potentially goes to five. But I just think I still think Seattle wins. I think that they just had the they had more experience and and the better team at the time. That being said, though, that prompted a mindset of this team this season that the only the only way that you could take them down was from the inside. 
Like this team was so connected and so in sync with each other that no one was going to beat them but themselves. You could try to, you know, beat them on a on a nightly basis. You can try to infiltrate, but the only way you could take this team down is to take them down from the inside out. And they weren't going to let anybody inside to do that. Um, being able to watch, you know, the the growth of Natasha Cloud as a point guard, um, getting to see Chrissy Tolliver do what she does, uh, even through injury, um, seeing, you know, the bench players step up on a nightly basis, whether it's injury or just, you know, starters not playing well, Tiana Hawkins, uh, Ariel Powers, Shatori Walker Kimbrough, what they were able to do as well too. And then Ariel Atkins, who's who was a starter in her second season, what she's been able to do as well too, um was nothing short of fantastic. And then of course, you know, Elena Deladon, um, watching an MVP season and a historic one at that in the 50-40-90 club and just what she was able to do. And then you come to find out she was doing it with her herniated discs in her back um, and a broken nose. So, you know, no big deal. Um, <laughs> but it was, oh man, it was so much fun. It was uh, something I'm never going to forget. Um, it will be a memory that I will cherish for the rest of my life. And, you know, going back to my point about um, Coach T making it like a family, they they gave me the honor and asked me to actually emcee their ring ceremony a couple of weeks ago. Um and I, I couldn't really put into words to express to them um, while I was opening the night how thankful I was to them for allowing me um, in and to be so close to the team and watch this run. So there's really no words to put, to put but, um, oh, man, it's, it's one I'll remember for the rest of my life. This, uh, and I'll have the hardware too. Oh yeah, you, you got the bling. Uh, so this season, uh, the Mystics, in my opinion, if things were normal under normal circumstances, not going into the bubble, uh, if if we weren't living through a pandemic, in my opinion, they would be the odds-on favorite to repeat as champion. Uh, they in my they didn't get any worse when they added Tina Charles <laughs> to the to the squad. Um, mm-hmm. but things are different and now we actually have a schedule to chew on. They will be playing on opening, uh, day, uh, on, in, uh, in, in, uh, July 25th opening day. It's probably a week and a half from now, the time you're hearing this, uh, they'll be taking on fellow Canadian Natalie Chanwa and the Indiana fever. Uh, take your mystics hat off for a second. Tell me what, uh, <laughs> what you to expect out of the defending champions this season and obviously there's an asterisk next to uh whether or not we know if elena deladon will be playing or not yeah not knowing um not knowing the situation with uh elena and tina charles um if they play or not um you know the news came out that unfortunately deladon's medical exemption was denied by the independent medical panel so she you know she's in a precarious position and a very difficult one at that to decide um if she's going to opt in and play uh and head down to uh, to Bradenton Florida or if she's going to opt out and not play um and forego her salary um it's a situation and a decision that uh, I can't I can't imagine making I my heart breaks for her to have to make um but you know, the season continues and we're awaiting the the news of Tina Charles and if her medical exemption will be approved or denied. Um, and there's many other players, actually, which is so interesting that we're um, 
you know, a week and a half away from opening day. And there's players on every team, essentially, that are still awaiting, you know, whether they're approved or denied for a medical exemption. So it's an it's a grueling process that I'm glad I, I'm not part of the decision um, and having to, you know, <laughs> approve or approve or deny a player's health um, and safety. So, um, you know, my hat's off to the the people that have to do that. But it's a situation no one wants to really be in. Um, and it's one, unfortunately, that, you know, the Mystics are now waiting to find out if they get an Elena or not, um, as well as a Tina. So, you know, if there is an asterisk beside it and, and neither play, um, I think the Mystics will still be fun. It will be a different team as defending champions, but it will be a team that will still fight. Uh, they still have Emma Miesemann, the finals MVP. Um, and arguably the best player in Belgian basketball history, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> and they still have, you know, the the dogs and aerial powers and the way she plays. You know, she's from Detroit, so she's got that Motown mentality. Um, she's got that bad boy, you know, Detroit Pistons kind of mentality that she brings every single game, um, which I absolutely love. And I think they're still going to be fun. They're 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 going to compete on a nightly basis. Um, and, and Coach T is going to expect nothing less than that, um, no matter what roster he puts out there. Um, they'll have 10 players, and that's what they'll rock with if they don't have um, Tina and Elena. And, you know, you've got a point guard coming in, and Leilani Mitchell, who's been here in D.C. before um, as part of the Mystics. Um, then, you you know, you've got a player in Tiana Hawkins whose who's body feels good because um, she battled injuries last season season but still played through um but you know you don't have tina and elena then you add in the fact that um you don't have natasha cloud because she decided to opt out um and you don't have latoya sanders who also decided to opt out so it's tough um but i i don't doubt that this team will compete and i expect them to put on uh, a show every single day for mystics fans and WNBA fans alike that will be watching. They're going to be fun. Um, and Coach T said the other day in his media availability, you know, we were a team last year that put up a, a, a heavy number of threes. They set a franchise record in 18 in a game. Um, funny enough, against the Indiana Fever last year. And uh, <laughs> he said, don't be surprised if we put up more than we did last year. So they might be a team that relies heavily on the three-point shot. By the way, uh, Ann Waters called. She said, MS hasn't passed me uh, just yet. <laughs> just, just yet. Uh, but I agree with you. She's she's well on her way. She's well on her way to being uh, the the goat in Belgium basketball history, both sides, uh, both for uh, men and women. By the way, um, all right. So if if the Mystics aren't at full strength, who do we see stepping up here? I know we have, you know, New York is a, is, a, is a team that just added probably the most uh, anticipated rookie since what did we say? It was it since Brianna Stewart, Brianna yeah, Stewart, uh, yeah, in in Sabrina Ionescu and. Uh, they didn't have the greatest of seasons a season ago. Uh, Seattle, speaking of Brianna Stewart, is is healthy. Uh, they have Sue Bird back as well. Um, LA loaded up, but they still have Derek Fisher as head coach. So I don't know about them. Uh, but but who, who do we who do we look for here? Phoenix is a good team as well if they're healthy. Everybody's a, if they're healthy, isn't it? Right. Um, so if 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 there's no, and I want to be very clear if there's any Mystics fans listening. <laughs> if, if this is simply predicated on no Elena and no Tina. Right. If there is no no ET, um, then I will I will I will go with the the Los Angeles Sparks. 
Um, one of my really good friends is, is their play-by-play announcer in Angel Gray. Um, I, I love Candace Parker. I love Chelsea Gray. I love, um, I know they'll only have one part of the Agumake sisters, um, as Chanae decided to, to opt out as well for her health. Um, but they'll have NECA. Um, I'm bummed that they won't have um, Christy Tolliver. She decided to opt out as well, too, um, after joining them in free agency. But a healthy Candace Parker, a healthy NECA Agumake, and a healthy Ch- Chelsea Gray, that's still a sc- that's still scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I As much fun as the Aces are without Liz Cambage, Asia can only take them, can only carry so much of the weight. Um, if Diana Taurasi's back holds up, I think the Taurasi Griner, uh, Diggins Smith trio, they will be one hell of a fun team to watch. Um, and I, I could see them and, and, uh, LA meeting up in the finals. I could also see the storm and LA meeting up in the finals, but, um, you know, again, asterisks beside the mystics. I think it's, uh, I think it's an LA sparks, uh, 2020 year. Um, and uh, it'll be fun, but I'm I'm really looking forward to see how uh, the Liberty play with Sabrina, um, as well to you know ca- fellow Canadian for us and Kia Nurse. I'm I'm looking forward to really seeing how those two play off of each other together. Um, if Derek Fisher wins one, I'll stop. I'll get off his back. Uh, speaking of the Canadians, Kia Nurse is there. Uh, mm-hmm. Nao Rankakunwe is there as well in New York. We have. Uh, Kayla Alexander and Bridget Carlton in Minnesota, and then Nata Chanwa in uh, Indiana. What, what what about the Canadians this season? And uh, give us give us a little taste for for all the uh, Canadian listeners right now. That by the way, um, we'll get games in Canada, even though we haven't announced uh, the TSN and Sportsnet schedule, which I'm sure is going to be announced here in a couple of. I would say a couple of maybe a week from now. Um, due to the fact that we mm-hmm. just got the schedule. Even without that, there's going to be more games in Canada than uh, than they're accustomed to getting because ABC is going to be showing games, which most Canadian uh, you know TVs can get, and also CBS proper, not CBS Sportsnet, but just CBS proper is also going to be showing games, which most Canadian TVs will get uh, as well. So even before we get to the TSN and uh, Sportsnet broadcast schedule, those two channels will be able to hold down the W fans uh, in Canada as well, and I. That starts right off the rip. That starts day one where you get L.A., Phoenix, and then Indiana and Washington. So we can watch Nat uh, go to work in uh, on opening day. So um, what about the Canadians this season? Uh, who do you expect having a breakout year? Um, is, it, is it again Kia? Is Kia going to again be an all-star? Or should, I mean, under normal circumstances, of course. We don't have the uh, yeah, same because they're not doing the, they're, scenarios yeah, they're, normal. They're not doing because they're not doing the All Star game. I don't know if they'll still announce All Stars. Um, to to be completely honest with you, um, but will she have an All Star like level um season? That's I don't doubt it. The better, uh, um, the better question. You should have just host this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't doubt that she will have an All Star level of season, especially alongside um Unescu. Um, as I mentioned, they're going to be super fun to watch. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they implement uh, Rain Kakunwe, as you mentioned, into the rotation. Because um, she, you know, last year she was in and out of the rotation um, for whatever reason. So I wonder if a, a change in the guard at the head coaching position changes 
um, that as well too for her. Um, and she doesn't have to play behind Tina Charles, which, you know, that is always helps. difficult. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, when you look at, I, I think, I think Nat has the, has the most pressure on her because, you know, she kind of was in and out of the rotation last year. I know she was injured, so she was dealing with that and ba- battling back from that. Um, but I also think just the way that she plays the game, the league has gone away from it a little bit. And, you know, their their new head coach in Marianne Stanley, who was previously in um, D.C., um, I'll be interested to see how she plays, what her style of play is. Um, because if it if it's anything similar to the way that the Mystics played, um, a Chonwa adding the three-point um, shot to her game is going to be very beneficial for her. And I think it will keep her on the floor and keep her in that rotation. Um, that being said, if she can knock it down with consistency, I think she has the ability to have a huge role coming off the bench and you know potentially be in the, in the running for six, six player of the year. Um, and I think that would be a huge, a huge mark for her as well, too. Um, it's tough to put a lot of pressure, you know, on a Kayla Alexander and uh, a Bridget Carlton. But um, I'm excited to see I'm excited to see Kayla and how she plays alongside. Um, why can't I think of her name right now? In Minnesota, Sylvia Fowles. Mm-hmm. Am I in the right area? Yeah, yeah. Sylvia. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm interested to see if Coach Reeves plays them, you know, does a little, you know, too too big kind of game with the two of them. Because um, Kayla has the ability to knock down the outside shot so she can actually extend the floor a little bit um, for them. Similar to what Nat could do with her and Tierra McCowan in the post. It gives, you know, Coach Stanley the opportunity and the decision to play the two of them together. Um, but they've got to hit the outside shot with consistency. So I'm excited to see that. Um it's tough, you know, thinking of Bridget Carlton because of the way she plays um, and, and seeing how she can fit with the roster. Um, but I'm excited to see her, her growth um, and seeing what she adds to her game and what she was able to add to her game in this quarantine offseason um, and how she's going to make an impact, um, not only on her team, but in the W. Because at the, at the end of the day, when you think about it, like there's 12 teams, you know, anywhere from 10 to 12 players per team. There's there's 144-ish spots in the WNBA. Nightly, on a nightly basis, unless you are a max player, you are literally auditioning every single game. Mm. The, the moment you step on that floor, you are auditioning for all 12 teams. And I say 12 because people will be like, well, wouldn't you be auditioning for 11 because you're already on a team? No, you're still auditioning for your head coach and general manager every single game. Um, so I'll be interested to see how, how Bridget um, does, but also, too, how much how much burn she gets and the, um, the style in which they use her. But um, I think Nat has the ability to have the, the most improvement with adding that three-point shot to her game. Um, and, you know, I mean... At this point, like nothing from Kia surprises me really. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've known her long enough that anything she adds to her game, it's no longer a surprise for me. It's just like okay, well, I was just you know, it's kind of like well, we're just waiting on this to be added in. Um, but I am I'm really looking excited, really sorry, really looking forward to seeing how her 
and Unescu play together. And I imagine, um, you know, as you mentioned, once TSN and Sportsnet figure out what they're going to do um, with the schedule, I imagine Canadians will be getting a heavy, heavy dose of New York Liberty games, um, <laughs> as well as, you know, Fever games, Lynx games, and, and so on and so forth. But I imagine of the majority of games the networks have um, in Canada, most of them will be heavy liberty. <laughs> we, we hope we hope we get some Mystics games in there too. Uh, by the way, on that they can you... also watch on League Pass too. Oh League yes, Pass is also WNBA League Pass. If you haven't got it yet, now is the time to get it. Twenty-two game schedule. It is jam-packed. You can watch it whenever, wherever, uh, on any device, and you can be a fan of Megan McPeak and watch all twenty-two games that uh, she will somehow have her voice attached to this season. Uh, WNBA League Pass. Um, the the cool stat about Natch, yes, her numbers were down in terms of scoring and, and everything else. Her assist numbers were up. Uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned that she did add the three to her game or the, at least the potential of, of building upon that. And also, the best season in terms of player efficiency rating for her came last year when she was coming off the bench. Uh, 19.3 for her. Good for her. Uh, so, you know, if she can build on that, as you said, um, transitioning to a different style of play for her, It'll be interesting to see. And then, and then for Bridget, I've seen her with the national team knock down threes. That's going to be the you know bread and butter for her this season, knocking down threes, uh, playing around, you know, creating some space for Sylvia and Nikaela's and, and the rest of that talented Minnesota squad out there. Yep. Um, all right, Megan, uh, this, is, uh, this has been fun. We always, whenever I get a chance to talk to you, it always goes over the time. Uh, 100%. We, we are well into overtime, probably in the second and third overtime on this one. But I really appreciate you taking the time here and spending it with us. Um, I'm going to have to have you back on at some point during the WNBA season. And also ahead of the maybe the G League season next season to talk about potential uh, prospects that we may see in the NBA at some point. Because I know that those fantasy nerds out there, you know, those, those, those basketball, I know you're not one of them, but the little basketball fantasy nerds that sit in their mom's basement and play basketball fantasy all the time, they like to get the head start on some of the players that make it up to the NBA and might have an impact. So uh, you, you might be helping <laughs> them out. I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. <laughs> Uh, Megan, thanks again. Uh, and for everyone listening, NBA.com, your home for not only Raptors news, but NBA news across the board. And also W news, ca.nba.com. That is the place to be. If you go there right now, there is an article entitled, uh, What Does Mark Gasol, Prime Mark Gasol, Mean to the Raptors? We've seen uh, not only head coach Nick Nurse, but Terrence Davis, who grew up in the Memphis area and knows all about Prime Mark Gasol, Call Marcus Gasol or say that Marcus Gasol was back to being prime Marcus Gasol. Uh, if anyone knows, it's Terrence Davis. He's a fan. He grew up in that area, and he knows all about Marcus Gasol. And now that Marcus Gasol slim, skinny, and back in shape, maybe, just maybe, the Raptors have one of the top centers again in the NBA. Uh, we are less than a week away from the start of the WNBA season. Uh, and we are also about two weeks away from the start of the NBA season. So, so much more to come on this very podcast. We will see you next week with another episode. I'm Carlin Gay. Thanks for listening to the Raptors Podcast. Get that garbage out of here!